Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And as we go into Matthew 5, I just, as I prayed, as you heard in my prayer now, that we are in the uh, section called the Beatitudes. And for those of you that are visiting us for the first time, I, I give you just a quick uh, introduction so that you can at least have a sense or, or a, a better understanding as to where we are. You know, when Jesus went on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, there were a multitude of people that were following him, right? And, and what was amazing about this is that, you know, people were just following him and, and he decided to capture this opportunity to, to really teach the people on on how to experience happiness, how to experience a true joy. See, the Lord can look in, inside our hearts, right? And as He looks in our hearts, He knows that every single one of us really seek for joy, really seek for a true happiness. And so what happened with Jesus is that as the multitudes were following Him, and He had great multitudes only because He was healing people with, uh, uh, with afflictions and with diseases and demon possessions and so you have these people that are following Jesus and so he he decides to climb up on this mountain we don't really know what mountain it is but we know it's a mountain in Galilee there and he climbs up there and and uh, as the people are following him he sits down and he captures a moment and this is when he begins to just teach them on the exalted happiness the sermon on the mount actually begins in chapter 5 and ends in chapter 7 but as we go through the beatitudes these are Really, there's, there's the Beatitudes that go through verse 12, and this is where we're at. And this is actually part four of the Beatitude series. And the reason it's called the Beatitude is, in case you don't know, Beatitude means exalted happiness. And when you look at the statements that are begun by Jesus, as we will do in a second, they're all beginning with the word blessed are. And when you look at the word blessed, in the Greek, it means markerios. And Markarios comes from the root word makar. And that means to be happy, to, to be truly happy, to experience a real happiness. Not like the happiness that comes and fades, right? Because we know that there's happiness that we experience that comes and it fades. It quickly disappears. And we've been giving illustrations of these things, right? Like, you know, when you buy something new and all of a sudden it breaks, the happiness is gone. You know, when you, when you have a new car and something happens to that new car, or you know what, after a month or two months, you see the new version that comes out, right? The new model, and you're like, man, I like that one better than the one I have now. So we see this, right? And it comes with people too, right? We know this. I mean, how many of you, you know, you're looking for the right one, and all of a sudden you, you believe you found the right one, and after a week or a month, you're like, man, I thought as happy as I thought I would be with this person, right? And, and so we experience these things, right? And these things come and they fade. But when it comes to what Jesus wants to offer us, this is true happiness. It is true joy. It is inner happiness, inner joy. It is an inner peace that is long-lasting, that remains no matter what you go through. And I want to preface this by saying to you that the only way to experience this happiness and this joy is through the Lord. And this is why He's giving us this this morning. This is why He's teaching us on the Beatitudes. And as we think about this, right, as we look at this, you know what, we think about, can anyone steal this happiness from us? Can anyone take it away? When it comes to what the Lord imparts in you, no one can take that away. 
No one can steal it from you. And so this is what is so different when it comes to the Lord because what He offers us is long-lasting. It is not a temporal joy. Because when God is involved, it does stay with us. You know, as we've been going through the Beatitudes, and they start there in verse 3, there is really a progression of happiness. A happiness and a joy that bursts within our hearts. And it really starts with the first Beatitude where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And let me rephrase this, because as I've shared with you, blessed means happiness, right? Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we look at this, understand this, that happiness begins with humility. Okay? And that's what poor in spirit means. I'm just giving you a quick summary of these so that you could get a taste of it, a sense of it. But as we look at this, right, as we look at this humility that God wants us to have, understand this, that when the world looks at humility today, humility is not a very great word, right? It's not a very, it's not so becoming of people. And yet in the kingdom of God, this is where happiness begins. It begins with those that humble themselves before the Lord, admitting that we desperately need Jesus. So we humble ourselves and and we tell Him, you know what, fill our bankrupt lives. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit. As we go to the next beatitude, it says there, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What Jesus was trying to remind us of here is that remember one thing. For those of us that enjoyed sin at one time, right? And it was joy for the moment, but we saw what it began to do in our lives. It began to break us. It began to destroy us. And Jesus is reminding us that blessed are those who mourn, who mourn over their sin, who mourn over their past behavior. And what happens to us is is for those of us that know that we've been forgiven by God, that we've been loved by God, we have an overwhelming joy and happiness in knowing that God has accepted us and God has forgiven us. And this is why He tells us that we shall be comforted. The next beatitude, the third beatitude is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we think about meekness, understand this. This is always, or I should say today, in our world today, it is a sign of weakness, right? But in reality, it is not a sign of weakness. And I want to share with you why. Because this is really power that is under control. It is under the control of the Holy Spirit. See, what happens with us is that we understand our standing before God. We understand who we are before God. We understand everything that we are before God. And so now we are subjected to the will of God. We now are under the power of the Holy Spirit. We are now controlled by the power of God. And so we exercise meekness. But there will be a time when people will see the power that is within us. When we will be exercising the power that is fully ours. That has been given to us by God. And this will be in the millennial kingdom. And this is why he says, for they shall inherit the earth. The fourth beatitude says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know what? What's amazing about this is that 
as you see there, right, it says there, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. A continual hungering, a continual thirsting for God. See, this is talking about a passion for God. This is talking about a, a, a real hunger for Him, right? It's talking about those that have a, a zeal for Him, right? That, that really have a fire for Him, that want this true, you know what, righteousness that comes from God. And the Lord is reminding us that, you know what, if you search after these things, if you passionately go after God and His righteousness, you will be filled. You will be satisfied like no other. And as we go to the next beatitude, and talks about, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As I explained this last week to all of you, there is both a physical and a spiritual mercy. And this mercy is extended as we, as we look at the physical to the needy, right? And as we look at this, we also know that as on a spiritual sense, we know that mercy is extended to us by God. It is receiving what we don't deserve. And when we extend this to others and, and as we imitate the Lord in His mercy, there is a thing called the mercy cycle. And I want you to understand this about the mercy cycle. Because as you extend mercy, you will also receive mercy from God. And this is what I enjoy, right? Knowing that, you know, what I give out, God is going to give it right back to me. And as we see these, right, as we quickly go over these, I want to now spend detailed time in the next two Beatitudes. And they begin here in verse 8 and 9. So let's go ahead and read them all. And then we're going to stop in verse 8 and we're going to, exp we're going to just expound on blessed are the pure in heart. So let's read from verse 1. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Just so you know, these are just not the apostles. These are not just a, gr a group, a, a, a few people. These are a multitude of people. And he captured the moment. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger for they, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to talk about this, right? I want to just... Just begin to, to talk about the seeking of God. See, when we look at the time that we live in today, our world today, you know what? There is so much pressure and so much temptation from, from so many different avenues, isn't there? You know, when we look at, at what the world gives us, when we look at what our flesh wants, and we, when we look at the temptation that comes from Satan, he uses the world to bring us down, right? And as we think about this, right, we think to ourselves, you know what, how many people are actually searching for God today? I want you to know this, that there are so many people today that are searching for God. Even in this age of technology that, that we see how much evil it is bringing, there is still good coming out of it too. And what's amazing about this age is that we can access God, uh, the things of God also through the internet. And I want to share 
when we think about this, right? I want to share how, or I want to give you an illustration of, of even when times are so evil and times are so wicked and tam, times are so dark, that there are still people that are searching for God. And I want to give you an example of this, right? When you look at when John, as we went through the book of Revelation, you know, when we look at the great tribulation that hits the earth, right? The wrath that comes upon this earth. You know, and we know that, devil ha- the, that the devil has his agenda and, and he's basically, you know what, bringing forth his destruction upon the world. Did you know that John saw a multitude of people? He says that they were so great in number that during the great tribulation, he saw all of these people, these multitudes, in heaven above praising God. The reason they were in heaven was because they were martyred. They were killed because of their faith. But can you imagine the revival that went on during the great tribulation when the wrath of God is compounded with the destruction of the devil to know that there was such a revival that goes on during the great tribulation? How much more today? As times are dark, just as they will be then. They'll be much darker then, but we look at it in comparison, right? When, when you're going to see that even today, there are people that are searching for God. There are millions of people that are looking for God. And when we see what the Lord speaks of here, He's telling us that, Blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to share with you how not to find God. Because see, a smokescreen that happens is that religious people, there are religious people that, that appear that, that they have found God, right? And, and I, want to know, I want to share with you that religion is in no way going to ever help you to find God. And I did this at one time, right? I, I remember there was a time when I was searching for God. And I was attending a religious church on Sundays. And I was so consistent there at this church that they would see me there every Sunday as I was looking for God and I could never find them there. But I was so consistent and they knew me that they began to ask me several times if I would be an usher at this religious church. And you know what? And, and, and so I was, I was looking for God, but what happened there is that I never found God. And religion moves us, right, to, to a place of, of, of looking for God. But understand this, that religion will always offer barriers to God. Not only was I going to these services, but I want you to know one thing, that I was doing so many other things, like external things, right? Looking for God, trying to find God. You know, I was helping people. I was, I was doing good deeds, right? And I think this sounds familiar to all of us, right, that are, that are looking for God, right? I, as we do good things, as, as we become very religious, you know, going to church on a religious basis. But I want you to understand one thing. Doing external things and just coming to church on Sunday, you won't find God that way. See, what happens is that these things become human achievements. These things become human accomplishments. 
And when it comes to Christ, what God is trying, what God is looking for, He's looking for us to be pure in heart. And what that means is to allow, is to open our hearts to God so that He can reach in and come in and to dwell with each and every one of us. Religion is, is, is coming to God, right? It's, it's coming up to God instead of allowing God to come down to us and to enter into our hearts. See, the only way to find God is to allow God to come into our hearts. See, God, God doesn't need your achievements or accomplishments. None of this impresses God. I want you to know this. You know what God is looking for? He's looking for your heart. This is all He wants. See, because if He has your heart, then He knows that He has the man or the woman. If He knows He has your heart, then He knows He has you. Look at what the Lord talks about here. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. See, the Lord is looking at our heart. And, he's, and, he's, and as we see here, right, the pure in heart are the ones that will see God. They will see God. And this is what God wants to show us today, right? See, the heart is extremely powerful. Because the heart really dictates how you behave. I want you to understand this. The heart dictates how you behave. Look at what it says in Proverbs 4.23. It says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And what this is trying to tell us is that problems will stem from the heart. So be careful where your heart is. We are to be careful where our heart is. And this is why God is saying the pure in heart will see God. God wants the heart. See, if the heart doesn't belong to God, look at what comes out of the heart. And it's from Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. It says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. See, these are the things that come out of the heart. And when God doesn't have the heart, this is exactly what comes out. Remember you. Remember, I remember myself before I came to know the Lord, right? These things were proceeding. These things were coming out, right? These things were vomiting out of my mouth as well as vomiting out of your mouth, right? These actions were how we acted. These actions were how we behaved. This is what we used to do. See, but when God grabs a hold of your heart, it begins to change. When you surrender your heart to the Lord, things begin to change. Transformation happens within us. See, what happens to us, it's like giving something to the Lord and the Lord says, I'm going to cleanse it. I'm going to wash it. I'm going to take away its filth, right? Because this is what God does. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a pure God. Our God is a righteous God. And when you say, God, I give you my heart, this is exactly what He begins to do. He begins to wash it and to cleanse it. And look at what it tells us in Proverbs 23, verse 7. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, 
so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, if we give our heart to Jesus Christ, if we give our heart to God, then there's something that happens within us. And this is, this is just so amazing, right? Because, see, it's everything that we've always wanted but we couldn't do. See, everything that we want is, 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 is we want to be different. We don't want to continue in sin. Even though we may enjoy it for the moment, we see the destruction that it brings. And so what we want is we really want God. And when we give our heart to God, we know what comes out. We start changing. We start behaving differently. Our words start changing. Our words begin to improve, right? How many of you have experienced that? One of the first changes that happens in us is our vocabulary, right? When there's repentance, when there's true, you know what, uh, uh, surrender, what begins to change in you? Your talk, right? Your speech, your, your cursing, your 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 you know your cussing right all of this begins to change you know what we begin to talk differently right we begin to say things that we're like man look at this you know what I, i'm not talking the way i used to talk before right trash isn't coming out right and and this is what happens to us because god has grabbed a hold of our hearts and god begins to change our hearts and god begins to do things in our hearts and we're just like blown away, right? Because we would say, you know what? I remember always saying this word and all of a sudden I'm saying it less. And I'm saying it less and less and less. And all of a sudden it goes away. And it's no longer part of our vocabulary. The same thing happens with our actions, right? When God grabs a hold of our hearts, remember what Jesus said, out of it comes all this vomit, right? All these things that we begin to do and and when we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ, it becomes, our actions change. There's a transformation that goes on, right? We're not perfect, but we immediately begin to see change. Because we see that God is washing our hearts. He's purifying our hearts. He's cleansing our hearts. And we begin to act differently. We begin to behave differently. For us, you know what, some of us are blown away, right? Because we see it immediately how many of you saw it immediately in your life many of us saw it immediately right some of us it took a little time but but we see that hey you know what i'm not i'm not controlled by it anymore right i i fall into it sometimes but i'm not controlled by it anymore see this happens to us as people that give our hearts to to the lord he begins to do a work in us but I'm going to share something with you. Things that don't go away, though, are thoughts, right? We're challenged with our thoughts many times. Even though we're not speaking the same, even though we're not acting the same, our thoughts are still sometimes very evil, aren't they? And understand this. Even though your thoughts are not good, because we have an enemy, right? And this enemy is constantly doing what? He's constantly putting bad thoughts in you. So don't get so worked up. Don't get so beat up with these thoughts. As long as you're not acting them out, then you're good. As long as you're not saying them, then you're good, right? See, this is what we got to remind ourselves of. You know what? As we... As we hold our thoughts captive, we understand that they are not controlled by God. 
See, because this is our heart, right? That's, that's preventing these thoughts that we have from being lived out. See, our hearts, in order to be pure, they need to be, it needs to be surrendered to God. And when you give God your heart, He transforms it and He changes it. I want to talk about this word pure to give you a better sense of it. When we look at the word pure, understand this. It comes from the Greek word katharos. Okay? And it is formed from the word katharizo. And this means to cleanse. It means to cleanse from filth. It means to cleanse from inequity. This is what it means, right? So when you look at the word pure... There are, it's giving us a sense that there is a, a cleansing that is going on within our hearts. It's giving us a sense that, you know what, that there's a, that there's a sanctification that's, being, that's, being, that's, that's happening within our hearts. And that's why many of us, as, we, as, we're, as we're walking on this earth, right, God is purifying our hearts. We're not going to be perfect. The only time that you will ever be perfect is where? It's in heaven above, right? You're never going to be perfect on earth. There is no perfect man on earth. That man can never be perfect. But there is definitely a sanctification that is going on within us. There is a cleansing that is going on within us. Why is it that David, in Psalm 51 verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do you know when he said this? This wasn't when he first surrendered himself to the Lord. This was after he had walked with God. This was after he, God had shown himself powerfully through him. This is when God was just showing his miracles through the life of David as he protected him, as he, as he gave him the strength to endure, as he conquered the enemies. When we look at this, right? When we look at King David, understand this. That David was tagged a man after God's heart. Why was he tagged a man after God's heart? Understand this, that what happens to many of us is that we get ourselves dirty as we walk in this world, don't we? Even if you've been walking with the Lord for some time, sometimes you, you pick up the filth from the world, right? Even though you're surrendered to God, even though you're, you're walking with God, and, and what happens sometimes is that this thing called sin attaches itself to us, right? And we become blinded to it and, and we find ourselves falling into it. And so what happens to us then? Just like David. David saw a beautiful woman. David saw this woman that was bathing and, and he lusted after her. And, and what happens to David is David, David says, you know what, I want her. He allowed his flesh to take over. And when he yielded himself to his flesh, he committed sin. And this is the time that he says, cleanse my heart. This is the time when he told the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. See, the reason why David was a man after God's heart was that even when he realized that he sinned, you know the first thing that he would do? Is he would drop to his knees. And he would ask God to forgive him. He wouldn't continue to practice it. He would stop and he would drop. And he would say, Lord, forgive me. 
and he would walk from it. See, a man after God's heart doesn't mean that that man will not sin. But the man, when he realizes that he has sinned, he will drop to his knees. And he will ask God for forgiveness. See, you and I are in a process of being cleansed from sin. Begging God for forgiveness and mercy. And as we look at this, as we think about this, God is purifying our hearts. See, happy are those that are pure in heart. We see change happening within us. How many of you are happier today than you were yesterday when you were in sin? I think all, every single one of us, right? Every single one of us are nodding heads and picking up our hands. Yeah, we, we could have enjoyed that sin, right, for the very moment, but we know what it brought to us after that. And it was only bringing destruction. And it was only destroying our lives. I want to share with you something that Solomon gave us. Solomon said in Proverbs 20 verse 9, this is what he said, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. I want to share this with you. There is none of you that can make your heart clean. There is none of you that can, can, can make yourself pure from sin. There is no one that can do this. How many of us, as we tried on our own before we came to know the Lord, we kept trying, right, to, to stop ourselves, right, and yet our flesh was so weak, and yet we continued to sin and sin, and, and we realized that, you know, we can't do it, right, and all of, our, all of a sudden, as it says in the first Beatitudes, we were just spiritually bankrupt. We were just messed up, and we were finally in a point where saying, yes, Lord, I am so messed up, I am so gone that I need you in my life. I need you to come in. And so this is what we did. We were poor in spirit. And we surrendered ourselves to the Lord. Look at the answer that God gives us. And it's from Acts chapter 15 beginning in verse 8. It reminds us of the fact that God knows our heart. It says here, so God who knows the heart. God knows your heart. And He acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And made no distinction between us and them, as He purified their hearts by faith. Did you know that your hearts are purified when you come in faith to Jesus Christ? That's the only way that you can have your hearts purified. When you believe in Him, when you say, yes, I need you, Lord. And this is when the purification process begins. This is when that cleansing begins. When He begins to take off that dross, right? That excess dross, that sin that is within us. And it's a work in, prog in, in progress. But see, what happens in us is that we need to acknowledge one thing. Is that you must have a singleness of heart. And what I mean by this, right, is that you must have a sense, a singleness, right? Just a, how could I say this? Just a, 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 a desire of just pleasing God. A purpose to please Him. A purpose to seek Him. See, God reminds us of His holiness constantly. And His desire is that you would be holy just as He is holy, as it's told to us in 1 Peter. See, you and I 
must desire this. You and I must have a purpose within our hearts. And this purpose must be for God. If you lose your purpose for God, then your, then, then your heart for God will also be lost. See, and every single one of us must have a purpose within us to make God a priority. As we were talking about previously, there in the beatitude of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. See, this is what we must have. And, and if we have a singleness of heart, then you will see God and people will see Him overflowing from you. As we move to the next beatitude, here in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's talk about peace, okay? When we think about peace, right? Peace is something that is so needed in this world, isn't it? Understand this. Let's talk about how this world began. This world began in peace, didn't it? And immediately it was marred and marked by what? And sin, right? Understand this, that all of this will end in peace also, will it not? But what about in between, okay? There's something in between, right? And I want you to understand this, that what's in between the beginning and the ending, there is no peace. See, the fall of Adam and Eve brought in this unrest. I want you to understand that it is sin that broke the peace. It is sin that broke the peace with God, and it's sin that broke the peace amongst men. See, Satan is behind this, this, this breaking of peace, right? And, and we know that sin is, is also just, just killing this peace, right? It is breaking this peace. And when man accepted sin as, as he was tempted by Satan, this is exactly what happened. But I want you to understand that peace is something that everyone looks for. The, the, the world is looking for peace. This is why you had this thing also called the Nobel Peace Prize, right? And they award this to people that can bring peace into the world. How many dignitaries are out there that are going from nation to nation, from people to people, trying to establish peace? And let's think about this. How many peace treaties have there been written? And have any of these peace treaties remained? Not one peace treaty that has ever been written has remained. Why is this the case? Why is this the case that, that there can be no peace? I want you to understand that as it tells us in Isaiah 57, 21, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. If you are apart from God, if you haven't surrendered yourself to God, you will never have peace. Peace can never dictate your life. Peace can never be experienced in your life. Because it is sin that is controlling. It is sin that is destroying. 
See, if we want to have peace, then we must look to God, who is the author of peace, who is peace himself. Look at what it says about the three persons of God. When it comes to God the Father, look at what it says in Romans 15, verse 33. It says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So what we have here is we have God the Father, right? That is, that is titled as the God of peace. So He is peace. And look at what it says about Jesus Christ. From Isaiah 9, verse 6. Look at what it says. It says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So we have here God, the Father called God of Peace. We have Jesus Christ that is called the Prince of Peace. And what about the Holy Spirit? Let's look at the Holy Spirit, right? It says here, in Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. But as you see there, the third thing that it mentions of the Spirit of God is that He is what? Peace. And in order to fill us, it is the Spirit that is given in us to fill us with peace. And so as you can see here that the Trinity is filled with peace, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to understand this, is that God is so concerned about peace that the Bible is dominated with peace. There are so many references about peace in the Bible. And I want you to understand this because God wants you to have peace. See, there is no way that any of us can ever experience peace unless it comes from the author of peace, from the prince of peace, from the spirit of peace. Do you remember yourself before you knew the Lord? Weren't you constantly at war with one another? You were at war with what? Your friends. You were at war with your spouse. You were at war with your co-workers. You were at odds with people, right? This is what happens to us because we don't have peace. See, not only do we have peace with those on the outside, but what's very important to all of us is that there is war on the inside because there's no peace. See, if you want to experience peace within as well as with others, you must first make peace with God. And when you make peace with God, He pours out who He is into your heart. See, James tells us of this, in case you're wondering about all of this. In James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? James is telling us is that there is a war going on within us. And, the, and this, this war that goes on within us will dominate you. See, because there's no rest in there, right? And so whatever's inside is going to come out, as we talked about earlier. And this is why the Lord reminds us of this in Colossians 1, verse 19, where He says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, 
and by him to be reconciled and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross understand as we see this right peace has been made by the blood of Christ And what this means is that, see, you have made peace with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the blood that Jesus shed on the cross made peace between you and God the Father? It was because of the penalty that He paid. This is what brought peace between you and God. Because He is the one that paid the penalty for your sin. He's the one that says, I'm taking the penalty, right? I'm going to take what you deserve. I'm going to shed my blood to satisfy the wrath of God the Father. And as we think about this, right, as we think about this peace that is made, it happens when you place your faith in Him. See, happy are those, that he, as He says, that are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Of God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, when you experience peace, I want you to understand one thing is that God wants you to share it with others. God knows that outside and, and all around you, there are people that are at war with one another, there are people that are at war within themselves. There is a war going on on the inside as well as a war going on on the outside. And God wants you to share your experience with others. See, God wants you to share what God has done in you so that others can experience what has happened to you. See, when we see the war that is on the outside, right? Understand this. People are killing one another. People are at odds with one another. We have a war at the, in the Middle East. We have a war going on in Russia. We have a war going on in several countries. And why is this? Because God doesn't reign in their hearts. Can't, they can't experience peace. And so what God uses is God uses us as His people to be peacemakers, to go out there promoting this peace. See, you are filled with such a happiness now, such a joy that's within you, that God wants you to go out there and share this with others so that they can also experience what's happening in you. See, what happens is, is that when we give ourselves to the Lord, when you truly surrender yourself to Him and you make peace with God, He immediately tags you as a peacemaker. And you become this peacemaker. And so guess what also happens to us. There's something that happens to us, right? As we make peace, we also become peacemakers. And what I want to talk about now is three important points when it comes to peace. When it comes to peace, I want to talk about how it begins, right? And I shared a lot of this because, see, the first point that I want to make is that in order to become a peacemaker, you must first make peace with God. And I shared this with you, right? This peace that you make. But I want to take it one step further. See, without making peace with God, 
there's no way that you can be a peacemaker. And what I mean by this, right, in order to share what you've experienced, you can't share anything about peace unless you've made peace with God. Because once you experience this peace, now you become a peacemaker. Once you experience this peace, now you can talk about this peace. And so the next point that I want to make with you is that we must be peacemakers for God. And what I mean by this is that you are called to help others to make peace with God. See, you are called to help others to make peace with God. How many of you have brought people to Jesus Christ? I think there are many of us in this place that have brought people to Jesus Christ. How do you feel after you brought people to Jesus Christ? Isn't there an overwhelming joy that consumes you? Isn't there just this, this happiness that just comes upon you and you're just like, I can't believe it. You know what? They came to Christ. I brought them to Christ and they surrendered themselves to Christ. And you're so overwhelmed with joy that now you are experienced. Happy are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, you have this overwhelming joy because you brought people to Christ. See, this is what it means to be a peacemaker. This is why the Lord is telling you, happy are those that are peacemakers. Look at what it tells us in Romans 10 verse 15. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It is beautiful to know that people will now experience a peaceful relationship with God. And you were an instrument that was used for it. And let us not forget about this, right? Because see, when you bring people to Christ, and if you have never experienced this, try it. And it's amazing how you feel. It's amazing the, what you experience. And it becomes like a drug, right? That you don't want to give it up. You want to keep bringing people to Christ. You want to keep sharing these glad tidings. You want to keep sharing the good news. And this is how it is. And this is what the Lord reminds us of. And there is no one that can steal the joy of bringing people to Christ. See, you know for a fact that the war is over. You know for a fact that transformation is coming. You know for a fact that they will experience God. The third point that I want to make you is that we must be a peacemaker of men. Not only are you a peacemaker of God, but you are also a peacemaker of men. And what do I mean by this? You have been called as a son of God. You have been called to make peace amongst men. Okay? And what I mean by this, see, is that we live in a world, as I mentioned to you, that there's a battle going on within men. There's a battle going on within women. There's a war going on inside. And so there's a war that happens on the outside. And so because of this, right, there's people that are at odds with one another. And the sad thing about all of this is that there's also people that are called Christians that have issues amongst themselves. And so what do we do with that? Do we just close our eyes and turn away and let them continue to beat each other up and fight with one another? No, we've been called to make peace. We've been called to bring them to experience peace with one another. 
See, many of us have family and friends and fellow believers that, that are at odds with one another. And as the Lord is telling you here, happy are the peacemakers. You know what happens with me is that when I can bring together people that are at odds with one another, when people that are fighting with one another, and, and I bring them together and, and I just give them you know, the truth of God and, and I begin to share with them the, 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 the Word of God and, and, and just to show them the ways of God that all of a sudden you see this, this God that begins to work. It's not my doing, it's His doing. I'm just an instrument for God. And you begin to see that how there's a bridge that is being just brought between these two people that are at odds with one another. See, this is what we are called to do. See, you know the Word of God. You know the truth of God. And in knowing the truth of God and the Word of God, you've been called to also bring peace amongst men. If you see people at odds with one another, allow the Word of God to, to, to flex its power, its muscle, and you will see how this peace that, that comes between them, you've been used as a bridge. And you know what? There's a joy that happens within us as we bring people that are at odds with one another. And it could get ugly, believe me. But at the end, if you see the peace that happens, you know that, you know what, you have a joy because you know that God has used you to bring these two that are at odds with one another. As we close here, right, I want you to know this, that it finishes by saying, for they shall be called sons of God. When you are a peacemaker, you are exactly who God is. And what I mean by this is you are acting like God. You're not God, but you are imitating God. And as a bridge maker, who was the bridge maker between God and man that we read in Colossians chapter 1? It was the Son of God, was it not? It was Jesus Christ that became the bridge between man and God. And as we look at this, right, as we imitate God, guess what He calls us to? Sons of God. It's amazing to be called a son of God. It's a privilege and an honor to be called a son of God. And let us not forget or call it cheap. This amazing title that has been given to us. You know, well, we all are sons of someone. But most importantly, and what is the greatest, is to be able to be called the Son of God. And this is what happens to the peacemaker. And this is what God is letting us know. You know, as we looked at this, right, as we looked at the pure in heart and the peacemakers, I want to give you an opportunity now to be exactly this. As I mentioned about being pure in heart, it all begins by allowing God to begin to cleanse your heart. But He can't cleanse it if He's not invited in. You can't make peace with God unless you make peace with Him. And the only way to do this is to come to Him, surrendering your life to Him. 
and asking Him in and allowing Him to take over. And so what I want everyone to do here is I want everyone here to close your eyes. I want everyone here to bow your heads. And this is between you and God. This is a decision that you have to make, a choice for God. As you can see, if you're tired of who you've been and if you're tired of of the life that you've been living, if you're tired of, of the sin that has so plagued you and that is destroying you and you want to invite God in to begin to cleanse your heart and to begin to purify your heart, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Peace starts when you make peace with God. Today is the day to make peace if you're at war with God, if you're at war with others. If there's a war within you. Anyone else before we close? Amen. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? For those of you that raised your hand. Many of you have been walking with God. And many of you have been spoken to by God. And you heard His voice and you humbled yourself before Him. As we talked about getting dirty, of picking up sin and, and sin attaching to us. I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for allowing sin to get a hold of me to attach itself to me. I want you to purify me. I want you to cleanse me. I'm here to make peace with you. I don't want to be, I don't want to have this war within. I don't want this war to come outside and touch those around me. I don't want to be at war with you anymore. I want to make peace. Lord, I surrender my life to You as my Savior and most importantly as my Lord to do from this day forward to serve You as my Master and to do as You say. Holy Spirit, I need Your power because I can't do this on my own. Convict me when I have temptation to sin. And you are the power that lives within me. And I will yield to you to overcome sin and to be pleasing to my Heavenly Father. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.